want to read to you from Second uh, Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. This is uh, Paul's encouragement to Timothy, who's in Ephesus at this time. And he's going through some tough stuff here uh, in, in, the, in the place that he's living, in the church, and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, and as a Christian, he's, he's having a difficult time here. So Paul's writing this letter to encourage him. Then, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be able to will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. I was thinking I might be one of the first people to say this, but I'm not. So, <laughs> happy new year. Um, I realize that we are not quite in the new year, but uh, uh, usually we choose the sermon right around this time of year, whether it is into January or just right at the end of December like it is today, to do some thoughts about uh, the new year and what that represents. Uh, If you think, uh, what changes from today to tomorrow? In a very real sense, it's just going from Sunday to Monday, right? We go through changes in the month 12 times a year. But we attach more significance to the new year and the passing from one to the other, and we think about how that's done uh, as a, uh, you know, cartoonist will portray the outgoing year as an old, well-beaten man with long beard, stooped over, like he's just, you know, like, look, I don't look like me. Uh, and then the new year looks like this little baby. And, you know, I can remember one where the, they're, they're kind of passing, and the old man looks at the baby and says, good luck. Uh, because it is, you know, a year, a lot of things happen in a year. Uh, for most people, the change to a near year represents a new tax year. Sorry. Uh, you know, a new financial uh, period. But it's also a time that we kind of stop and take uh, stock. I mean, think about our lives. Think about what's happened in the past. And then we aspire to do things in the new year. 
We set goals. We call them resolutions of what we hope to do. Sometimes it may be weight loss. Sometimes it may be more exercise. Sometimes it may be uh, job or career choices, maybe family decisions. And we know that often, while they have the best of intentions, they may not accomplish what we set out to do. I did a lesson many, many years ago where I suggested that we maybe should call New Year's resolutions New Year's revolutions because we just kind of go in circles every year. We make the same resolutions and not much changes. As I thought about this, I I got thinking about Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, Second Timothy uh, is a very, very priceless uh, letter from Paul. And I thought... His advice to Timothy that we just read would probably make the basis for the kind of lesson that I want to get us thinking about uh, approaching the new year and what we want to do with it spiritually. So we want to talk about, and if you look at the very first words there of 2 Timothy 1, or or 2, verse 1, he says, be strong. Now, sometimes we say what we call platitudes to people. Somebody's discouraged and we say, buck up. You probably don't use that expression, but, uh, but some expression that may seem very trivial and meaningless. But as Paul is saying that to Timothy, there's a very important reason why he's doing that. So let's just take a minute to introduce the book of Second Timothy. Richard's already kind of done that a little bit, but let's let's take a look at this because this is Paul's farewell. Um, he is uh, tells us back in chapter one that he is in chains uh, and that means he is awaiting death. This is, from what we understand, the last of his letters in the New Testament. And so he's chosen to write this to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is introduced to us in Acts 16 uh, as Paul encounters this young disciple and takes him with him on on his journeys. And so uh, Paul mentors and teaches Timothy. Gives him, and then, then commissions him and puts him to work, uh, in full-time ministry. Now, we know that Timothy is a relatively young man because Paul will make the, the comment about Timothy's youth. When I read that, I think about when I was about 22, 23, and I started to work full-time with a, with a congregation and we'd go to a business. We didn't have elders, but I'd go to a business meeting, and we'd be meeting and talking about the work of the church. And I'd I'd suggest things, and I'd kind of be patted on the head, not literally, but you know, patted on the head, and oh yeah, that's you're, but you're just a young fellow. <clears throat> really frustrating because people can be so patronizing. 
and dismissive of people because they're young. And, and that's one of the things that Timothy seems to have to have deal with. So Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. And there are certain things that are said in his two letters that I think tell us that Timothy probably had some real, uh, real issues, some real problems. For example, he says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Well, why would Paul raise the concept of timidity to Timothy if it weren't a problem for him? And I think you kind of see that in some of the other things that Paul says. Uh, he's burned out. He may be young, and we think of youth and enthusiasm, but you know when you're young and you're enthusiastic and it's like you're trying to move the world and nothing is moving, it's very easy to get discouraged and disappointed and, and burnt out. So, Paul tells him, don't let anyone despise you, look down on you, because you're young. That kind of tells us what the problem is. So, then he says, rekindle the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know, So, uh, that, that word rekindle has in some very literal translations will say, uh, you know, fan the burning or the dying embers. That kind of tells us where Timothy is. Now, some people might say, well, what Timothy needs is for Paul to give him a quick boot in the backside. No. He needs encouragement. He needs support. He needs to be given something to focus on and, and redirect it. And so both of the letters essentially form what we might call a charge. We don't kind of do that very often, but a charge is like a set of instructions with the idea of trying to, to mobilize Timothy and get him back in action rather than being kind of on the sideline and broken and disappointed and discouraged. And so Paul says to him, be strong. Now, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, it's not just a strength that is uh, physical. You know, he's not saying go out and work out. Or run for 10 miles a day. But he's really trying to address the spiritual nature of Timothy and his life. And so he uses three images in the verses that follow. And we're going to be going through those. But essentially, if you look, what do those three have in common? And I'm going to suggest three things here. Number one is effort. That your faith is only going to work... If you put effort into it. Secondly, is commitment. Stick to it. And then third, is sacrifice. So, first image that Paul uses is of a soldier. Now, when we think soldier, we think modern times, we think, you know, a guy that's you know, got all the equipment and the automatic weapons and, you know, grenades and 
uh, rocket launchers and the whole the whole thing. But think about the soldier of the first century, typified by the Roman soldier. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. You know, they had an armor, but it was not like the armor that we saw in the Middle Ages where you had a guy that was dressed in metal from head to toe. But rather a few pieces of strategically appointed protection. But more the idea of the the action of hand-to-hand combat of a soldier. And so Paul says, join me in suffering as a good soldier. You know, I know that soldiers in war through all of the centuries have had to encounter some of the most incredible, almost devastating circumstances to live in. Weather? Deprivation of food and water, loneliness, separation from family and friends, always threat to one's life. It was not a pleasant way of life. For some, it was a way of earning freedom and citizenship. So it was worth it. But... It's an interesting way for Paul to start this and saying, join me in suffering as a good soldier. But there's also the focus here that Timothy is, is being challenged to. That you are there to please the efforts or the leadership of your commanding officer. Don't become entangled with civilian affairs. Don't get, up, get caught up in things that are not relevant to your ministry. And then third is that submission to please your commanding officer. That's what you're there to do. The second image is of an athlete. I think we may relate more to that because probably more of us are either one time, you know, involved in sports or the armchair quarterbacks, where we watch the hockey or the football on our TV and pretend that we're there. But we understand the effort that's involved in competition in sports. And so he says to compete to win. You know, I don't know anybody that got involved seriously in sports that was content with setting a goal to say, I want to be an also-ran. Can't you just see some country as the Olympics are coming up and they've got some athlete there that wants to compete? He says, I'll be happy to just get a participant award. That's not much of a goal, is it? It's something that they want to do. They want to win. And you watch sports and you see the effort that's involved. And 
You know, one of the things that really floored me, um, we're in the bowl season of football, university, college ball in the United States. And as many of you know, our daughter Valerie and her husband, Russ, and, and their son Jackson, live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. That is where uh, Oklahoma State University is. They have per- perpetually a nationally ranked football program. And first time we went and visited there, we were driving across the campus, saw this massive facility with football fields, plural, around it. And I asked Russ, I said, what's that? He says, that is the training center for the football team. And it's like they've got an indoor football field without the stands. And they've got all these outside. And you realize the millions and millions and millions of dollars that's invested in helping develop this program and working these athletes, and they are, you know, like you wonder how they're ever going to get a university education because they are so absorbed in football. And you see the weight facilities, the weight training. And you see all of the things that go along with that. And you realize that an athlete must be completely focused on everything that they do. And so their preparation and training, I mean, you don't get up one morning and say, oh, I think I'll run the marathon today. A hundred feet down the way, you're gasping for air, right? So the athlete prepares and conditions himself for that and puts in a maximum effort. You know, Paul talks about the idea, I don't box as one just beating the air. I mean, anybody can box against the air, but it becomes a different thing when you're in a ring against somebody else and he's trying to hit you as much or more as you're trying to hit him. You don't just waltz in there without any preparation or thought or training and you say, okay, doesn't work. And so the athlete prepares and then he says, competes According to the rules, is that this? You know, one of the things that frustrates me when I'm watching sports is you see a player, whether it's basketball or football or hockey, who intentionally cheats and does something to another player. And you know, it's kind of funny. I, I'm, I'm kind of the kind of person that when I see that happen, I think, you know. I hope that guy's team loses because he took, excuse the word, let's say a foolish penalty because he decided to break the rules and do something he shouldn't. And then the third one Paul uses is the hardworking farmer. You know, We don't see too many soldiers in Manitoba, although there are some. We don't see uh, a lot of athletes, although there are some. But we see a lot of farms around here, don't we? Uh, We see the work and effort that's involved in that. And so the hardworking farm. You know, and and when, when Paul was saying this, these guys did not, the farmers in his day didn't have big tractors. They didn't have the big John Deere's. 
They may have had some animals to help pull the plow, but a lot of it was just grunt, manual labor. And so kind of as a model for thinking about the, the effort that Paul is kind of charging Timothy to, to perform is the farmer. James talks about the patience of a farmer. You know, when our kids were little, we planted a garden and we put the seeds in the ground. And it seems like just minutes later, the kids were looking to see if the seeds were starting to sprout. And we're saying, no, not going to happen that quick. It takes patience. It takes waiting. You know, you have to have a vision to plant the seed and then to wait for that seed to sprout and for the plant to grow and then for it ultimately to bring a harvest. And so the purpose of doing that, though, is for the farmer then to be able to eat the fruit of his work. But he's worked hard for it. And so all three of those suggest what Paul is saying to Timothy. It's going to be hard. Now, I realize sometimes that doesn't seem to be the kind of invitation to activity that we want, right? You know, we'd like to be, oh, it's going to be nice and easy. You're going to make a lot of money and you're going to have everything that you ever wanted without any sweat. You think the soldiers didn't sweat? You think the athletes didn't sweat? You think the farmers didn't sweat? They all did. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take commitment. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, imagine the farmer wakes up one morning, knows it's in the spring, knows it's time to start planting his seeds, says, I planted it last year. I don't have to worry about it this year. Not going to happen, is it? You know, I've known many farmers through my life, and I know that they are the people who are up before anybody else in the morning. They are they are on their field as quickly as possible as they can work it in the spring. And their whole life, you know, and that's the thing about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Their whole life revolves around their activity. They're committed to it. I mentioned this years ago, but when I was in junior high school, my best friend, we were going to driving from where we lived in Connecticut just across the state line into New York, to White Plains of New York. And my best friend there in the congregation, Eddie, and his older brother, Danny, were involved seriously in cross-country uh, racing. And it seemed like those two guys were always in training. And I remember having Eddie over to our house one time after after church, and... Mom had prepared a great meal, a lot of my favorites. And Eddie looked at that and said, well, I can't eat that, and I can't eat that, and I can't eat that. I'm like, what? He said, I'm in training. You can't eat mashed potatoes? You can't eat a piece of pie? 
He said, no, I'm in training. That's what I have to do if I want to run in the statewide competition. Because that was the level. You imagine being a cross-country runner and competing at the state level in New York State. But there's a level of commitment that it took and sacrifice. I remember reading a a sermon based on this passage many years ago. You know, kind of talked about using the football analogy. And, you know, and, and as, as we're hitting that, that time of, of, of football games, of bowl games, and you see some of those guys that are on the sideline because they are just exhausted. They've got the oxygen mask on trying to get their breath. But you know, there's nothing sweeter than coming to the end of a game and enjoying the success of victory, knowing that you have put everything you have into it. And that's part of the challenge and charge that Paul is giving Timothy here. It, it's hard. It's, there's going to be suffering involved. You know, especially if you think about how many blisters people get, whether it's, you know, from your boots in the military, from running, on your hands, from farming. You wake up in the morning and the muscles are just screaming in pain. You decide, well, this is not worth it. Or do you say, I've got something really important that I need to do. And it's worth it. It's worth it. So, one of the things that's interesting is that if you look at these three pictures that Paul uses here, is, okay, before we get to that, actually the second verse, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trusted faithful men, um, NIV says reliable, but older translations say faithful, and I kind of like that. You know, people you can trust. In other words, that that part of that is, Timothy, this needs to be so important to you that you are ready to pass it on to other people so that they can do it too. What you've heard from me in the presence of witnesses and trusted faithful men who will pass, you know, that's that's four generations of teaching that he's talking about. All right, so the three images um, each have an expression or statement that indicates the results of it. For example, the soldier is trying to please his commander. You know, he's, he's obeying these orders, risking his life, suffering hardship, trying to please his commanding officer. The athlete wants to wear the victor's crown. And the farmer wants to eat the harvest, to enjoy the product, the result of his word. And so the last verse, verse 7, basically Paul says, I want you to think about things. He says, you'll, you'll understand it. 
You know, I don't know how many times you may have read this passage and thought, well, you know, it's kind of interesting that Paul uses these and doesn't really sink into us. But the point that he's trying to make here is that we need to put effort into our faith. You know, there's a song, there's an old song that has uh, a line in it that I've always thought, you know, says, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Now, one of the lines in that song says, must I be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease? Isn't that? Well, see, some people don't want to be inconvenienced. Some people don't want to have to put any effort into their lives as Christians. They don't want to work. They don't want to study. They want to learn. They don't want to grow. They want to become everything that God wants them to be and kind of realize that if we're working at cross purposes with God, what does that mean? Not a good thing. So, for 2018, let me suggest that we all be strong. As Paul encourages Timothy to do that, we need that kind of strength that kind of effort, that commitment, that sacrifice that makes our faith vibrant, alive, and powerful. Chad's chosen a song for us to close with, How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts, Keep Their Lives from Sin, Thy Word, Choices, Truths, in Part, to Keep the Conscience Clean. That's the beginning point, isn't it? Spending time with God's Word. So if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand, as we sing.